I'm Jess Aberhart, and you're listening to the Reinvention Road Trip podcast. Listen, I'm a mom who's obsessed with the power and process of reinvention, and I'm also a fourth-generation entrepreneur. I've worked on an Amish farm and for the world's most admired company, produced events in partnership with the NFL and NBA, and carved out a little place in the world of early-stage startups. Every step of the way, learning the power of reinvention. So let's take this journey together. It's time to get inspired, dream louder, and own the keys that will unlock the next best version of you. All right, as you know, I'm obsessed with the road to reinvention. As a mom, storyteller, and member of a badass girl tribe, I use my flaws and lessons to fuel each incredible life chapter. Here's my theory, guys. In order to really embrace your reinvention, you need to have a handle on your origin story. You remember up at the top, I said I'm a storyteller, right? You got to have a handle on your origin story so you have stories to tell. If we're lucky, we're all going to go through many reinventions in our lifetime. But there's likely one story that started it all. It defined how you moved, who you were, and where your biases of thought, interests, and religion came from. Before launching my coaching practice and building the curriculum for the reinvention roadmap, I dug in and got to work privately so I could come to terms with how I move and why. Here's just a little peek into my origin story. I grew up in a small town in Ohio. It actually didn't even classify as a town or a city. There were only 200 people in Evansport. So technically, it classified as a village. Evansport, while small, was really interesting, had a great background, a great, great history. It was once an important river port, a booming canal town back in the day. It moved flour and grains around the Midwest on little barges. But when the railroads were built, They won the transportation wars, and Evansport, sadly, was on the losing side. It instead reinvented itself into a sleepy, quiet, almost forgotten little place that hosted my childhood. Well, here's the deal. I have a complex background, like many of us do. First, I'm biracial. My mom had me while she was stationed in Germany during her time in the military. She's white, and my dad was black. My dad honored my mom's wishes and removed himself from my life forever as soon as I was born, which is actually a pretty incredible story that just recently came full circle, but that's for another time. Anyway, my mom served in the army for eight and a half years, and then she moved me back to her hometown of Evansport by herself when I was just three years old. She wanted to be close to family and settle into that civilian life. Now, while she was technically a single mom, she had the help of my grandparents, which turned out to be a lifelong gift. So here I am in this little town and the only chocolate drop in the blondie, if you want to say. And it really didn't hit me until I was a little bit older that I was different and living in a whole town that didn't look like me. Here's the thing. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, you can imagine that this arrangement was definitely uncommon and would have sparked a lot of gossip and whispers. But my grandparents were successful business owners. In fact, today we'd probably just call them, you know, serial entrepreneurs. 
And because of their success and influence in my community and throughout Northwest Ohio, they were very, very respected, especially my grandpa. The idea that this influential, highly respected white man thought his black granddaughter was everything was sort of a signal that everyone around him should think I was everything too. Just by being a member of the family, I had a sort of halo effect and I was sheltered from the gossip that was certainly happening at dinner tables. The fact was, I was Alvin Sig's granddaughter and you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. It wasn't until one day when I was standing in the full length mirror that was screwed to the back of my bedroom door that it really hit me. I was maybe six or seven and I had those little short shorts on with the stripe down the side and a white t-shirt. I looked in the mirror and for the first time actually looked at my skin as if I wasn't living in it. I can remember what I had on because I was thinking about how dark my skin was next to my white top. I looked at my little afro and my nearly burnt black ears from the summer sun and examined the dark brown lines on the palms of my hands. It was this day that I saw what everybody else saw, a little black girl. Now, even though my mom is white, I'm not super light skinned. Okay, so sometimes it's not always obvious that I'm biracial. Y'all can check out my pictures on my Instagram or whatever so you can see what I'm talking about. I'm darker than most biracial kids. And in the summertime, especially as a kid, I tanned up beautifully. That day, I remember feeling really lonely, though. I had a sobering realization that even though I wanted to have white skin and straight hair like my friends at school, it wasn't happening like ever. Now, it's important to note here that I didn't hate myself or my skin color. It wasn't that deep. Um, But I did hate that no one else in my world shared these characteristics with me. I was different from my family and my friends, and I just wanted to be normal, which in our little corner of Ohio was to be white. Let's face it, at six, you're not thinking about racial bias and discrimination, but you are thinking that you want to blend in and being white seemed easier. I was different and I didn't want to be. Okay, so now I love my mom. She's listening to this, I'm sure, but she didn't help the process. She didn't talk about race at all. And if it came up, it was like gumdrops and lollipops. She was good for often saying that she was colorblind and she didn't see color Then she would promptly move on to something else. I was pretty much left to internalize and process race and racism as it unfolded over time. My earliest memories were on the playground. This was where all the off-color jokes that were said at home by parents were told with enthusiasm by my friends on the blacktop. I knew they were coming because I would get this disclaimer. Hey, no offense, but fill in the N-word joke here or this one. Don't take this personally. This isn't about you, but fill in the blank there. As you can imagine, with no guidance and no one to really talk to about these moments, I would become a passive participant in these hurtful exchanges, just basically going along to get along. I just wanted to fit in. Again, it was the easy thing. Now, while young, my first invention story started that day in the mirror. It was the day I fully understood how my family, friends, teachers, neighbors, they all saw me. And so I decided to invent the person they hoped and needed me to be. It's sort of like that shell game. I just cleverly play the sleight of hand where just when you want to assume something about me because of my black skin or my single mom, you'd quickly discover that I broke your stereotype. I became what you needed me to be. 
I was really good at this trick. I mean, like I was great at it. I invented the smart, athletic, funny, clever, trusted persona that my friends and family loved. I got all the awards my senior year in high school that would reflect my hard work and trickery. I was named most likely to succeed, outstanding high school student, best school spirit, and best personality. I mean, come on, did I nail this version of me or what? Okay, this is a good time to bring in my new friend, the Enneagram. If you're not familiar, the Enneagram is one of the most useful tools for understanding personality styles at work, relationships, or for self-awareness. My results have me squarely in style three, the effective person. Now, we effective persons are attracted to and value efficiency, industriousness, and competence. We want to be productive and seek to make the world a more efficient place to live in. Bringing projects to completion, accomplishing goals, and working effectively are what life is all about for us style threes. What's so interesting is that in my very detailed analysis, there is a portion of this report that gives you insight on how you might have become this way. And here's what mine said. During your early development, you were very aware of your inner worth. This awareness became blocked because important people in your life placed unusually high emphasis on how you looked and performed and unusually little emphasis on who you were. Your ability to look good and get ahead was given extra attention, whereas your personal disclosures and emotional connections were ignored. You may have been very popular and found that you could best survive by playing to an audience and meeting the expectations that others set for you. Well, so there you have it. I'm a style three, two AT. Most of it was nurture versus nature in my case. All right, so back to my story. And then I'm gonna offer a few recommendations on why you need to get clear on yours. So I graduate from high school, I head to college. This was long awaited, folks. I couldn't wait to be in a place where no one knew me and I could start over. Even though I attended a PWI, which is predominantly white institution, um, I did that on an academic scholarship, right? And so I decided that I was gonna dive into this new me, enter stage right, my first significant reinvention. My plan of attack was to, again, be all things to all people. And this time, and for the very first time, it would include Black folks too. As you can see, I didn't do a very good job here. I traded one heavy sword of unreasonable expectations for another, but I was young and this is my plan. In this new version of me, I would plan to be a straight A student, and jump right into Black Student Union, Gospel Choir, Black History Month activities, sorority life, whatever they had, I was here for it. I was dying to introduce myself to myself, if that makes sense. Okay, now I couldn't have gotten off to a better foot than my roommate assignment that freshman year. She was not only a friend from a neighboring city, we were dating uh, guys who were the best, who were best friends. And so we got to know each other over our senior years in high school. And when we learned that we were attending the same school, it was like a no-brainer, at least for me. I hope that was for her too. But at least for me, I was like, this is great. Fact is, I learned a lot from Sandra. She came from a traditional Black family. She had amazing parents, confident and beautiful older sisters, and she was just cool. Sandra, whether she knows this or not, 
modeled language, music, and black girl hair routines for me for the very first time in my life. I can't wait to send this podcast to her, actually. She'll probably get a kick out of that. If I'm going to be brutally honest, though, I had so much to learn, guys. You can't, you just can't cram like 20 years of heritage and family reunion traditions and black party learnings into four years in between classes. It was an adjustment for sure. I didn't feel black enough most times. I put way too much pink lotion in my hair all the time. And I had only seen maybe like two episodes of Good Times. So I was a work in progress and a completely blank canvas. I just wanted to master my black girl learning curve as quickly as possible. I learned, asked, and listened my way to the answers. And just like high school, I checked the boxes. Here I go. I chaired Black History Month as a member of student government, sang in the gospel choir all four years, served in leadership roles for our Black Student Union, and graduated magnum cum laude. It didn't take long before my efforts to throw myself into the house parties, church, football games, they all paid off. I had emerged as a more whole person. I still had a lot of questions and had much to experience. But for the first time in 18 years, I felt like I was getting comfortable with my place in the world. It turns out I would wrestle on and off with my, my identity for the next 20 years. But because I had already been down that road and really worked on it while I was in college, I was able to handle those moments better and with more patience. Now, some of you might be thinking, all right, that's cool, Jess, but why are you telling us this? (laughs) Well, hopefully you feel like you know me a lot better now and maybe feel connected to me in a new way. That's my hope anyways. Storytelling can be so powerful. And if you're going to take on a new you, you're going to need to tell yours. The fact is we don't know our stories as well as we think we do. Telling your story helps you make sense of your life. It might help explain why certain events happened the way that they did. Knowing and telling your invention story and your reinvention story is an important exercise. So I have a little challenge for you. Why don't you take a notebook out to a park or sit down after the kids are asleep or maybe grab some time in the morning with your coffee or smoothie and write down the heroes and heroines in your past. Let your mind wander and gather all the memories, good and bad, and write them down. Start to make some connections, and I promise the stories will appear. Telling your story can be very therapeutic, and doing it often leads to greater confidence and understanding of yourself. Most people don't take the time to do this. They take their stories for granted. All right, so why? Why will you take the time? Why will you sit down and make these notes? Because stories inspire those that you lead. The greatest leaders in business know their story, own their story, and tell their story. Stories are also very healing. There's an article in Psychology Today that validates that every time you tell your story and someone else who cares bears witness to it, you turn off the body's stress responses. You flip off that toxic stress hormones like cortisol and epinephrine and flipping on relaxation responses that release healing hormones like dopamine, nitric oxide, and endorphins. Not only does this turn on the body's innate self-repair mechanism and function as a preventative medicine, it also relaxes your nervous system. It helps heal your mind of depression, anxiety, fear, anger, and feelings of disconnection. When you are in the throes of a reinvention, There is no greater drumbeat to keep your progress moving 
than to tell your story. Stories connect the past and present to the future. You can see our traditions, our values, our heritage, our wins, our losses, and apply them by design to your future self. That's so cool. It's like you have an entire library of past stuff, right? Through those stories that will help inform how you want to design your future. So here's a great exercise. After you've brainstormed in the park or over coffee, why not try to narrow it all down? Tell your personal story in three sentences. What's the hook? What's the conflict? How do you reflect on it all? Sometimes I use this framework that I got from my book coach, Nancy Erickson. She always says to me, tell me what you were like before. Tell me what happened. And then what is it like now? You can do this. It's certainly an adventure, but storytelling is a powerful tool of transformation and can bring people closer to you and you to them. All right, friends, that's all I have today. Just as quick, my story, your story, we all got them. Please join us next week on the Reinvention Road Trip. In the meantime, check out my blog on storytelling at jessaverhart.com forward slash blog and leave your three-sentence personal story in the comment section. I want to select one so that I can share it on an upcoming episode. All right, team, until next time. Thanks, friends, for riding along on today's Reinvention Road Trip. If you like what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. I know it seems like a little thing, but it is so important to see if we're on the right track. You can find the show notes at jessaverhart.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget to join the Reinvention Road Trip by signing up for our newsletter where I share behind the scene details and nuggets that you won't hear on the show. New episodes drop weekly, so subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to your podcast these days. All right, friends. Thanks so much. Until next time. Oh, my God.